You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast for Bethany Lutheran Church in Long Beach, California. Well, good morning again. You know, the, the story of Zacchaeus, I loved the story of Zacchaeus growing up. I remember singing the story of Zacchaeus. I, I remember, that's kind of how I learned it. And it's great to memorize scripture that way to song and kind of know what it is. But, but I kind of wonder that if Zacchaeus lived today, would he have kind of the bad rap as a sinner? I mean, think about it for a second. Sure, he was vertically challenged and he probably cheated people on their taxes. However... The things that we place a high value on in our culture today, he, he kind of was all about, right? I mean, the text tells us he was rich. He had a lot of money. He had a pretty prestigious job. I mean, he was the chief tax collector after all. And well, being the chief tax collector, he would have been known not just throughout Jer- Jericho, but probably most of the known world because Jericho was this hub of trade. I mean, if you stop and you think about it, it would seem he really had it all. Money, power, fame. So it makes me wonder, why do you think he climbed that tree in the first place? I mean, why would he run ahead of the crowd and and go up in a tree? And then when Jesus encountered him, why such a colossal change of heart? I mean, you're talking about a major financial decision in a moment, right? Lord, I will give half of my possessions to the poor. Think about it right now. If you know how much you're worth, right? Half of that, give it away tomorrow. And not just that, but four times if I cheated anyone, and well, he was the chief tax collector. I'm sure you don't get there by treating people fairly. So, what changed? Well, we really don't know much about Zacchaeus' life leading up to this moment, right? Obviously, we know a couple things. I mean, he was rich. He was the chief tax collector, a vocation fraught with corruption, mind you. He, He was fairly confident in his climbing abilities, and he was vertically challenged, right? Outside of that, we don't know much. We don't know if he was married or not, but could you imagine if he was married and suddenly he was all like, hey, honey, um, I'm bringing home 12 guys and this Jesus character. We're going to have dinner tonight. Hope you don't mind, right? My wife, if I just called, I, I didn't call, just walk in the door with like 13 people going like, hey, feed us. I, she would not be happy, needless to say. And not just that, but we don't really know if he struggled with self-doubt. We don't know if he was tired of running the rat race day in and day out. We don't know if he felt empty, though he seemed to have all of what the culture values. Outside of this moment in time, we don't know much about Zacchaeus. Of course, the the fun fact is, is that uh, after this encounter with Jesus, this sinner was, uh, as legend has it, became the first bishop of Caesarea, Palestine. So what does this whole story of Zacchaeus really have to do with households of faith, the theme that we're walking through through Lent? Well, the great majority of people, you and I, whether we realize it or not, we make our domestic decisions based on deeper values. 
really how we craft our domestic life is, is it's intrinsically connected to how we approach life itself. You know, if we value the environment, we recycle. You know, if we really value money, we, we tend to save or maybe not buy such expensive items. And really how we set up our lives and our households really matter. It's kind of central to, to the shape of our life. And for those of us who are Christians, seemingly mundane domestic matters, well, they turn out to be kind of central to our own discipleship as well. I mean, as a disciple of Jesus, I, I take an interest in what Jesus takes an interest in. What matters to Jesus matters to me, or, or at least it should. And so it's noteworthy to me as a Christian that a household seems to matter to Jesus, that Zacchaeus' household mattered to Jesus, that your and my household matters to Jesus. And it matters to the life of those who are in our household. If you didn't know, before I became a pastor, I was a DCE. Now, if you're not familiar with Lutheran acronyms, DCE means Director of Christian Education. And basically, you go and you're trained to be a, a parish education specialist. It's actually what Carl and Kaylee are, and we have some of the best DCEs in the whole synod. Well, when I was a DCE, I oversaw youth and, and junior high and senior high youth. And we would always have a, a yearly gathering at the beginning where we'd kind of go over the calendar and we'd go over Bible studies and trips and fundraisers and all that stuff, right? I mean, I know that Kaylee does that here from time to time as well. But, but as a part of that, what I would do is I would actually stand up in front of everybody and I would say, you know, parents, I, I got to tell you something. You know, he, we here in this ministry value that you are here, that you brought your children and entrusted children with us, but I've got news for you. You see, it doesn't really matter what we might do here. They're going to hear me say things. They're going to experience things here. But, but what they see you do and how they see you live out your faith is what's going to really change their lives. You see, you are the greatest disciplers in your children's life. In fact, your, your household is where most of discipleship occurs. And it's not just parents with children, it's for you and me as well. Our households are where we are discipled most. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's where you take this teaching you're here this morning and put it into practice Monday through Saturday. Now, God calls us to be an active part of a church, yes, and amen. I mean, he calls us to, to be a part of the body, to be active in it and be involved as you all are being in the choir, right? And, and we do this because we know that at church we receive God's word and sacrament. And God says, where my word and sacrament are, there I am. But we also know that God is in our households as well. And he made us for community, and he called us as a community to steward the things that we have and to honor him in our daily lives. You see, what if? What if those things that we think are just the boring parts of our life, what if they actually matter to God? What if the, the, the things that we feel are really small and insignificant? in our lives, in our day-to-day, -day, are really where God is wanting to meet us and help us to discover the abundant blessing and life that he has for us. And to be honest, it really doesn't matter what type of family or household you live in, 
Whether you're a nuclear family or household, whether you're a roommate household, a couple household, a multi-generational household, whether you're a single parent household or a, a wish my kids would finally move out of my house household, whatever household you belong to, it matters to Jesus. And it's really our place, our training ground, where, we're, where the things that we believe, teach, and confess are, are reinforced and developed. You see, for you and for others in your household, it matters. Now, for some of us, this is a very comforting thought. For others of us, it's scary as all get out, right? Yet, how many of us, just to take this in, into consideration, how many of us swore that we would never be like our parents? Only one day to end up looking in the mirror and going, my goodness, I've become my father or mother. Now, I know it's not true for all of us, but we have to realize that our faith is not just taught, but it's also caught in our day-to-day lives. Now, I'm sure that in Zacchaeus' household up to this moment, there was a pretty high value on wealth, right? We're going to have wealth. We're going to do all we can to keep wealth and to gain more wealth. But maybe it's because he grew up poor. Maybe his, his family was so focused on their financial poverty that he swore he would never be poor again. Only to come to realize that material wealth and, and the gaining of that doesn't really check all the boxes in your emotional and spiritual and mental needs. Maybe he grew up with the thought that if, if, if he just worked hard enough, if he made himself someone, if he had the right job, then, then he would find fulfillment without realizing that his identity has been found in being a child of God. Maybe he grew up in a household that was influenced by the popular culture, right? And the popular culture taught us that, that it's with wealth and power and influence that you are a successful person. We don't know what kind of household Zacchaeus grew up in. We don't know what took him to the point of this life. What we do know is this chief tax collector who had great wealth encountered Jesus on the road. And in that encounter, Jesus acted first and said, I want to invite you to come down. I'm going to go hang out with you. I'm going to go stay the night at your house tonight. And we know that as a result of this relationship, there was a radical shift in his actions. And we can probably go on to guess that there was a radical shift that continued in his values and his life. He, he went from hoarding wealth to giving it all away. He, he went from living just for himself and his own pleasures to, to living with joy, focused on Jesus and others and you. He experienced this radical freedom, this transformation of heart that comes with experiencing the kindness and the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of Christ Jesus. And the fruit of that experience, the the fruit of this newfound faith showed in his response. So I'm curious, what is your household discipling its members toward? Or, Or who or what are you allowing to invest in and disciple the members of your household? No matter how old, or how young. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves and really think about it, those can be sobering and frightening questions, especially in today's culture. I mean, I I don't mean to give you like a drive-by guilting, 
right? I mean, but how much time do you or members of your household, oh, I don't know, spend in front of a screen? Did you know that according to data from data, data report, the average American spends seven hours and 11 minutes a day in front of a screen? I'm sure people are doing math right now in their head. <laughs> but let's be honest. Do you think that the social media, the YouTube, the gaming, the news channels we're obsessed with, the hours of Netflix binging, the, the cat videos, whatever it is, has an influence on our lives? <laughs> of course it does. And the more time that we spend in front of our screens is the less time that we spend in conversation and doing life with others. Members of our household, including us, are, are going to learn our values from somewhere. It's going to be reinforced in our lives, and not just that, but we're going to be discipled by someone. The question is, is who are we allowing to vest in the members of our household? I get it. I got two kids, boys, really active boys, right? One who's been trying to call me while we've been sitting here preaching. So I'm going to figure, I'm going to go on a screen after this and figure out what's going on, right? And, and, and I know how hard it is, right? Especially when they're really kind of acting up or how, how easy it is to ingrain a screen in your household. Like grandma and grandpa, when the grandkids come over and you just can't handle them anymore, it's just give them that electric babysitter and call it a day, right? I was talking with my therapist about, you know, technology and how it impacts my kids, how it impacts me. And she challenged me and she said, well, what would it look like to be a technology-free household? I said, oh, I mean, I'd, I'd have to pack up my TVs. I don't know what I'd do with that, right? So I was talking to a friend of mine. And I was like, so, you know, I was talking about the fact maybe I'm thinking about being a technology-free household just for a little bit. I mean, we've got some tech addicts in the house. And so we need to really kind of have a little sobering moment, right? And, and my friend looked at me and just laughed. It's like, no, there's no way that's a possibility. Now, you might at this point in the message be thinking to yourself, man, I came to church to be encouraged. You know, Kyle, I heard you were preaching. Maybe I even came to be a little entertained. And you leave me feeling like poo right now, all right? I'm going to go home and like start counting up the hours. I'm actually in front of the TV. And what am I watching? Well, let me offer you a little hope. First of all, know that Jesus meets us where we are. And he doesn't leave us there. Just like he met Zacchaeus in that tree, he meets us where we are in life. And he invites us to spend time with him, to, to watch what he does, to learn and experience from him, to experience his love and his mercy and his grace in our lives today and always. To know that you are loved to know that he's died for you, and to know that each and every day he invites you to come and follow me. Remember your baptism. Remember who you are. Remember when I put my name upon you and called you my own. To know there's no amount of sin or guilt or shame that Jesus can't forgive or transform. That he's not looking at you and going, man, you have really messed up. You have lost it all. I, there is no help for you, right? Jesus doesn't say that at all. 
Because with Jesus, it's never too late. And there's no household or person that's beyond redemption. Second, there are a couple things that, that our households can start working on that we've been shown, that have been shown by research to have a, a dramatic and lasting effect. And, and these things are this. Three things, and it's on the front of your bulletin, and it's in your bulletin. If you look, it's in the liturgy in the bulletin. We'll be talking about it the next couple of weeks. It's these three things. Messy prayers, loud tables, and open doors. Messy prayers, praying together daily, reading the Bible together weekly. Loud tables, the household habit of, of talking with each other. Imagine that, putting the screens down and actually having conversation in the house, right? Talking about your day, your, your positives, your negatives. You, you see this in the back of your bulletin. There's actually a, 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 a tool and a resource for you. And talking about how you see God working in your life, either daily or weekly. And open doors. The, the habit of regularly welcoming non-family guests into your home. Research has shown that, that any one of these three things can really kind of change a household, but where all three of these things are present, the research has found that something special happens. Where you have messy prayers and a loud table and open doors, you have a spiritually vibrant home. So over the next few weeks, like I said, we're going to be digging deeper into each one of those concepts as we talk about being households of faith. You see, having a, a spiritually vibrant home, well, it, it takes work daily. And it takes daily surrendering to Jesus. It takes knowing and experiencing the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. You see, you are loved. You are forgiven. You have value, and so does everyone in your household. May God, through the guidance of his Holy Spirit, lead you and guide you today and every day. May he bless you and your household. May he continue to remind you that, that you have been freely given grace and mercy and peace, and may you give that to other members of your household as well. May he constantly remind you that you have new life through his death and resurrection. And may he lead you to practice messy prayers and loud tables and open doors. That it may be said of your household as it was of Zacchaeus's, you and your family have been saved today. You've shown too that you are descendants of Abraham. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today. A video archive of our online worship services, including today's message, can be found on our YouTube channel and at www.bethanylutheran.org. Links for both of these are in the show notes. If you would like to support this podcast or the ministry of Bethany Lutheran Church in Long Beach, California, you can text the word GIVE to 562-210-0463. That's GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 562 562- 2100463 we pray that you have a wonderful and blessed week